this look familiar? I didn't take a picture as I was driving. I don't know who takes a picture while they're driving in conditions like this, but somebody did, and I'm grateful for it because I get to steal it. But this was, if you can imagine this view and pitch blackness, this was my experience for about an hour last night. We came back from the Whitmer wedding, which was wonderful, and it was beautiful. The ride home, not so much. It was really near whiteout conditions. Uh, and just to make sure that I didn't get lost coming out of the reception place, I punched in you know, my home address into the GPS to make sure I got back onto the interstate the correct way, and so I started following the GPS. And we ended up on back streets. We'll talk about that in a moment. <laughs> Things you learn. And, and it, it was like this, but but black. It was just pitch black. We were on these, what seemed like country roads. I don't know. We could have been in the middle of the city, for all I know, for as far as we could see on either side of the car. Uh, there were a couple inches of slush and ice and, and snow on the road. Uh, you really couldn't. In fact, this was actually pretty generous. There wasn't this much of the road to see where we were. It was very difficult to see. And when you're driving in those conditions, near whiteout, dark, can't see, you have some options, right? And usually the thing that goes through my mind is just follow the car in front of you, right? Get close enough that you can see their taillights, not so close that you're going to see them up close and personal, but stay, stay close enough that you can see them. Try to follow where they go, which is good until they go off the road. And then, you know, at that point, you've got a decision to make. Hopefully you make it quickly. And, and that brings up an interesting point. If you're in a difficult situation and you're just following somebody else, what happens when they don't know what they're doing, right? If, if they start wandering in the wrong place, they start seeing the road differently, you're going to follow them as well. So it's not a great option. So we'd be driving along and I'd be, I'd be talking to my wife and I'd say, I can't see the road. And I'm like, oh, there it is. You know, you'd catch half of one of the hash mark lines, just a little bit. Okay, there it is. I know I'm on the road still. And my mind is processing all these things. Where's the line? There's a light. There's a mailbox. I know I'm not supposed to hit those. Stay this way. There's a concrete barrier. Don't hit that. Stay this way. So you start recognizing all these immovable objects that mark out where the road is. And you say, this is where I'm supposed to be. Today is the last day of 2017. Tomorrow's the first day of 2018. And, and at this time of year, it's pretty typical for people to think about goals, resolutions. Where do you want to go this year? What do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish? What do you want to change in yourself? And those things are good. It's good to think about those things, and it's a good time to think about those things. But what I want to talk about today is what keeps you on track when you can barely see in front of your face. Because a goal is helpful, but there are times that the snow is in your face and you can't even see the goal. All you can try to figure out is, am I supposed to turn a little left or a little right? How do I stay on track right here, right now? And so today, as I like to do at least once a year as a church, I want to talk about mission. I want to talk about our mission as a church. Now, don't tune out because I know you, oh man, this isn't going to relate to me. Our mission as a church relates to us as individuals. This is for us as, because let's be honest, the church is the individuals, right? 
The church isn't something you show up to. It's not something you walk into. It's not a program that you attend. The church is you as a follower of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about our mission as a church, if you are saved by Jesus Christ, and this is the place that you worship, we're talking about you. What's our mission together? What keeps us on track as a church? And it's interesting, now that uh, we've come through the Christmas season, New, uh, Christmas Eve service, I love Christmas Eve service, so beautiful, and it's neat because there's a lot of visitors, we get a lot of people that come up to me, you know, I grew up in this church, and then we moved away, and we're back home seeing family, and I get a chance to talk to some of these people that I meet maybe once or twice a year now, uh, and they're always so encouraging. You know, they'll talk about God's doing wonderful things here. It's just so neat to see what God is doing here, and it, it always kind of takes me back a little bit to think about why? What is it? Because one of the the fundamental lessons I've learned in ministry that I think God has convinced me of over and over again is that I'm not that impressive. I'm not. I don't play guitar like Phil Keggy. How many of you know who Phil Keggy is? Wow! God bless you. That's amazing. I was hoping for one or two. That's amazing. He's He's a phenomenal guitar player. I don't preach like Spurgeon, you know? I don't lead like... I don't. You don't know who Spurgeon is? <sighs> wow. All right. I don't know what to do with that. One of the greatest preachers ever. I'm not that impressive. And so when people come back and say, wow, it's so neat to see what's going on here, I think, why? Why is something amazing going on here? And and I think as we look at our purpose here today, the mission of Orchard Community Church, if there's anything that we could look to to say, what is it that has brought us to this point? What is it that continues to take us on? It is this purpose statement right here. And not so much the wording of it. I don't really care about the wording. It's not catchy. I I wouldn't put it into a song. I, I don't think it would be very poetic. But the principles behind this statement are what have kept us on track as a church. And I think it's keeping on track with these principles, because these are straight out of Scripture, that helps us and and causes God to say, this is how I work and how I'm at work in and amongst you, as individuals and collectively as a church. This is our mission statement as a church. We exist to make and become fully devoted followers of Christ through the renewing and transforming power of the gospel for the glory of God. And I want to pick through this today. I want to look at three key aspects. And for each one, I want to talk about why it's important to us as a church, where it is in Scripture that some of these things are drawn from, and finally, how it applies to us as individuals. Because as you walk into 2018, it might one day, hypothetically, be 90 degrees out. I know it takes faith to see it. They come. It might be blue skies. Everything might be wonderful and peaceful in your life. But there might be turmoil going on somewhere in a relationship, in a health issue, that has nothing to do with the weather, nothing to do with the culture, but something slams into you and suddenly you are in pitch black in whiteout conditions you can't see in front of you. And I want you to be thinking, what is it you're going to hold on to in that moment? 
And I think the principles here in this statement will help you greatly. So let's talk about the first one. And I'm going to take these in reverse order of the statement itself. And we're going to look at three key aspects. That we exist for God's glory. That we exist for God's glory through the gospel. And that this is carried out in fully devoted followers of Christ. So let's talk about what it means to exist for God's glory. To exist for God's glory, because I think it's easy to get caught up in how do I turn left? How do I turn right? How do I stay on the road? How do I just put one foot in front of the other? And somebody comes along and says, you need to live for the glory of God. I don't even know how to get out of bed in the morning. I can't find my toothbrush. I can't find my phone. I can't find my keys. I don't know how to discipline my kids. I don't know what my boss wants at work. And you're telling me to live for the glory of God? How do I do that? Seeking the glory of God in everything that we do is our purpose on this earth. It is the purpose for which every human being is created. It is the reason that God created the heavens and the earth, put Adam and Eve in there, and gave them commands and instructions on how to live. It's the reason God shaped and formed the Israelites in the Old Testament to be a community to exist for his glory. It's the reason he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as we'll look at in a moment. It's the reason you sit here today. If you are saved by Jesus Christ, God has a purpose for your life. Your gifts might be different than mine. They might be different than the person next to you. But all of them, together together collectively, everything that we are is for God's glory. When you go through a difficult time, the purpose that needs to be ringing in your mind is how do I endure this for the glory of God? When you're confronted with a difficult person, the thing ringing in your mind needs to be how do I speak or not speak for the glory of God? When you're raising your kids, how do I raise my kids for the glory of God? When you go to church, and how do I go to church and get involved for the glory of God? When you go to work, how do I go to work and get involved for the glory of God? So I want to talk about God's glory. Seeking God's glory keeps us focused. It gives us one of those immovable, in fact, the immovable thing, That when we focus on it, when we see it as the snow is blinding us, we say, that is the path I have to take because that is where God is glorified. I will not turn to the left or to the right. In Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 44, God says this to his people. He says, you will know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake and not according to your evil ways and your corrupt practices. You people of Israel declares the sovereign Lord. Now notice what he's saying in that verse. In the context, his people, the Israelites at that time, they were going astray again. They were getting into trouble again, as we often do ourselves still today. And he's warning them and encouraging them, exhorting them, come back, come back, come back. But he says why he's going to do what he does. And he says in the second part there, I'm not doing it because of you or what you're doing. God is not up in heaven going, hey, let's try this and see what my people do. Well, they responded this way. Okay, plan B, plan C, plan B. That's not the God we serve. God says why he does everything that he does. He says, you will know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my namesake. 
What God is saying is everything he does is for his own glory. Is he sensitive to you? Absolutely. Does he know what's going on in your life? Absolutely. Does he lead us and guide us in those difficult times? Absolutely. But what is the purpose in and through all of that? It is his glory. His glory. This is God's focus and it must be ours as well. We must live focused on the glory of God as a church and as individuals. And when we get our eyes off of that, we start drifting out of the lane. When we start following the world around us and the culture around us, whether individually or as a church, we start drifting out of the lane. And I got to tell you, as I was driving in that blizzard last night, my mind was looking over the edge constantly. And I thought, just a little slip. And we're down into that ravine. And we're on a road. There's, there weren't many people around. And I thought, man, what would that be like? How long would we be there? We need to stay on track. Seeking God's glory keeps us focused by aligning us with God's word. You cannot seek the glory of God in ways that are contrary to what God has said. Oh, I'm going to do this thing that God says is wrong and it'll make him really happy. Uh, no, that's not how that works. So when your focus is on the glory of God, you have to run to Scripture. You have to pour over it and say, how does God declare that He is glorified? Let's do that. Let's focus there. Seeking God's glory keeps us humble as well. 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5. through Paul writes, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. You see, we don't want people, I don't want people, to be impressed with us as a church. I want people to be impressed with the God who is doing amazing things. And, and the same is true in your life. How often do we run after the approval of people? If they, only they would see how skilled I am. If only they would see how awesome I am. If only they see my talents and abilities. And to stop and to step back and say, if only they would see the glory of God in my life. That should be our driving passion. You see, when we seek our own glory, we put ourselves forward. Hey, let me show you how awesome I am. But you know what happens when we seek God's glory? Often it means enduring suffering. So it means somebody's treating you poorly. And if you're seeking your own glory, well, you better fight. You better step up. You better show them how amazing you are. You better argue with them and pound your truth into their head until they understand it because you're so amazing. But if you're seeking God's glory, do you know what often happens? You bite your tongue. You live the gospel. You even suffer because it displays the glory of God. Paul understood this, and you see this in his life and in his ministry. And he says to the Corinthians, I wasn't here to impress you. In fact, Paul understood it was his unimpressiveness, I don't think that's a word, but it is now, that displayed God's glory. He said, don't be amazed at me. I'm nothing. 
Be amazed at God. Church, this thing that we do when we come together, our programs, our worship, our events that we have throughout the week, it's not about us. And it's not about you as an individual, first and foremost. It's about the glory of God. That changes everything as a church when we gather together. If we walk in together and say, I'm here for the glory of God. In fact, let me tell you a story. I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, but I'm going to do it anyway. This morning I pulled in. I think it was about a little after 8 o'clock. There was a foot of snow in the parking lot. Nobody had plowed. Now we hire a plow guy. He comes in, he plows. We pay him to do this. He's not part of our church. He comes in, he does it. I don't know what happened to him. He didn't show up. He's usually quite good. Jeff Schultz was here early this morning, and he jumped in that plow truck, and he plowed most of that lot until our plow guy could get here. Where's Jeff? He's up there. Thank you. And and the reason I'm going to get in trouble is that Jeff probably doesn't want you to know that. Because he didn't do it so that I could stand up and sit here and say, look at what Jeff did. And my point, actually, is not to point out how awesome Jeff is, although that's true. <laughs> but it's because Jeff, like so many others in this church, do things behind the scenes, never expecting and often never wanting anybody to recognize them, but for God to be glorified in what they do. It's not about us. Seeking God's glory keeps us focused, it keeps us humble, and it keeps us united. So many churches today are splitting apart at the seams because other ideas, other focuses have come into their midst. The glory of God is what unites us as a church. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Paul writes to this church in Corinth that was splitting, it was fracturing, they were arguing, there was all this divisiveness in the church. And a particular aspect of what was going on was fighting over whether it was okay to eat certain foods or not certain foods. And, and they were just arguing and yelling at each other. And Paul says, look, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Somebody next to you says, I'm not going to eat meat. And I think that brings glory to God. Somebody else says, hey, I like a good steak. And I think that brings glory to God. Which I happen to agree with. But, <laughs> but the point is, rather than arguing about the meat, no meat, or food sacrificed to idols and food that wasn't sacrificed to idols, Paul says, look, you're seeking to glorify God. I'm seeking to glorify God. There's the unity. There's the unity. Is there a difference in how we do it? Sure. But do both bring glory to God? Absolutely. We need to live for God's glory. It keeps the focus off of us. And frankly, thinking about a whiteout, it keeps the focus off the car in front of us. Because it's really tempting as a church to just look at the culture. Where's it going? How do we follow it? Because we love those people and we want to reach them. And that's true. But we find ourselves chasing a culture that doesn't know where it needs to go at all. We need a focus on something unchangeable and unmovable. So what's the best way to bring glory to God? I think it's good in life when, when you're looking to accomplish something. Look at somebody else that has accomplished something similar. 
So I, I was thinking, what's a good example of someone bringing glory to God? Well, let's look at how God brought glory to God. How about that? I think that's a pretty good starting place. And the greatest way that God brings glory to himself is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, the word itself means good news. The good news of Jesus Christ is what we just celebrated in Christmas. God became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. The gospel continues all the way to Easter. Jesus, our God, our Lord, went to the cross in our place, took the punishment of our sins, took all of it upon himself, and paid for it all so that we could be saved. And then he rose from the grave and promises eternal life to all who believe. The gospel's not ultimately very complicated. And yet in another sense, the gospel is the entirety of what God is doing from Genesis to Revelation. It is his plan to bring us into a relationship with himself forever and ever for his glory and our good. And the gospel and God's glory cannot be separated. They are not two different things. I love the book of Romans for so many reasons. It's so rich in depth. And Paul starts by saying, here's his thesis statement, his theme statement for the whole book. It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Romans 1.16. He says, this is what I'm writing about. In this letter that he's writing to the Roman Christians, he says, I'm writing to you about the gospel. And then for the next 10 or 11 chapters, he goes into the depths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He looks at who Jesus is, what he's done, who we are, why we need what Jesus has done, the depths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And after spending 11 chapters talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, how does he wrap this up before he moves on? He says this in verses 33 to 36 of chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Do you see what happens when Paul dwells on the gospel of Jesus Christ? He links it right into bringing glory to God. How do I respond to this? It must be to bring glory to God. There's a big push in our world to love people. And that's good. We need to love people. There's a big push and and constant pressure on the church to be effective and to reach out and to make people feel welcomed. And that's good. We need to reach out. We need to make people feel welcomed. But God declares that he is most glorified when the gospel is proclaimed and received. And so if in our love we are reaching out, but letting go of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are failing to bring glory to God, no matter how loved people feel. It's about the gospel. Think about how Paul thinks about this. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He doesn't come to people and say, you know, you just need a little pick-me-up. You just need a little oomph to get you going this year, 2018. It's going to be hard, but I'll give you a pep talk and get you going. He says, no, you're dead. 
You need to be brought to life. And then he goes on in verses 4 and 5, and he says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. That's the gospel. It's not just a a, a word of wisdom for your day. It's not just a little pithy quote to get you going. It's not just a pick-me-up to help you along your way. That's not why Jesus came. He came because we were dead and needed to be brought to life. People don't ultimately need better living. Their greatest need is not just to be shown a better way to live. They need to be shown how to die and be raised to new life in Jesus Christ. How to accept that they are so lost, so dead, that they cannot rescue themselves. And they need to look to the one who can. People are only changed through the gospel. I mentioned that last night as I was driving home, I I punched in my home address into my GPS and, uh, and it was taking me home. Normally, works great. Now, my GPS is really cool. It's on my phone, and uh, it reads the current traffic uh, conditions. And so if traffic's bad, it automatically reroutes me around it. And normally, that's a wonderful thing, but I think that's what got me in trouble last night. Because it read what was going on on 490, which I should have been on, and then 390, which eventually we got on. And I think it went, hey, traffic's moving slow. And its little robot brain said, well, let's look at the, the speed limit on these other roads. Oh, he could go 45 on this road, and they're only going 40 on the interstate. Let's take him over here. Normally, for a GPS to, to react to changing circumstances, it's great. Normally. Normally in our lives, to just look at what's going on and respond and react can work fine. But when you start taking that to more important things, when you start taking that to more difficult things, when you start taking that to a church, and this is what I see in Christians today, is that so often they want to react to what's going on in the world. Well, the world's doing this, so let's change and do this, because it will help them. Or some other churches say, well, the world's doing this, let's change and do this so we can be completely different from them. And they act like they're all righteous because of that. But both are measuring themselves back against the world. The gospel says, quit reacting to the world, react to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That never changes. Take that to the world. The unchanging truth that helps them more than they can possibly imagine. When I was a youth pastor, I think about nine years in youth ministry, I worked with hundreds of kids, literally. And and I still see this in my ministry today with adults. It's the same thing. So many people want help. So many parents want help for their youth. Keep them happy. Keep them busy. Do do you see Lord of the Rings, right, where, where Gandalf comes to Frodo and he has that ring of great power? He says, keep it secret, keep it safe. Because it's so important. I felt like that as a youth pastor. They'd come to me with their, their kids. Keep them happy. Keep them busy. Keep them out of trouble. 
Friends, it doesn't work. After nine years of youth ministry, actually, it didn't take me that long, thankfully. It doesn't work. Because you can keep them happy, and you can keep them busy, and if their heart's not changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, it doesn't make a bit of difference. Period. It doesn't. So they made it through the couple years of junior high and four years of high school, and they didn't get into massive trouble. That's great, but if they graduate from high school and they're still unredeemed, unrepentant sinners destined for eternity in hell, what good did those seven years in youth ministry do? And I saw one student after another after another that was busy and involved in the church, lived the good Christian life that completely went off the deep end in college, let go of their faith because they never had it in the first place. All they had was happiness and busyness. And friends, I don't think we've come that far as adults sometimes. I think if we could just have more activities, if we could just do more stuff as a church... But the focus has to be on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel is what takes a dead person into life. The gospel is what brings a lost person into being found and brought into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's in the gospel that real, eternal change takes place. And until we are so convinced of that, we will find ourselves distracted by one program after another, after another, after another. The gospel is real change, real help, and it is the greatest need of everybody sitting here and everybody you care about and come in contact with. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that they need. We have to be convinced of that. And so we have that we exist for the glory of God, We exist through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And why? So what is it that we're trying to work on? What is it we're trying to accomplish here? And our purpose talks about fully devoted followers of Christ. That's what this looks like. It's not an impressive worship service. It's not impressive preaching. Praise God. It's not impressive programs. That's not our ultimate goal. What we want to, if I could say it this way, produce as a church is fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are saved by faith. Absolutely. You you can't earn your salvation. You can't get up and go to church and put money in the plate and volunteer in the nursery and shovel the walkways or plow the the parking lot. You can't do those things to get your way to heaven. You can't. The Bible's very clear on that. And so as Christians, and we we preached a, a, a series on this, on the Reformation, we're saved by grace through faith. It's not what we do. But what does faith look like in Scripture? Faith in Scripture always, always, always equals following. Faith equals following. Jesus doesn't come to somebody and say, hey, do you believe in me? Yes, and just move on and and, and leave the person. He comes to them and says, do you believe me? Yep, follow me. Follow. Go where I'm going. Watch what I do. Followers of Jesus Christ. A growing disciple lives dead to self, but alive in Christ. Galatians 2.20, Paul says this. And and if I may, this verse right here and the principle around it needs to confront the American church today. I have been crucified with Christ. 
and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. A growing disciple lives dead to self, but alive in Christ. To follow Christ is each and every day to get up and say, today is not about me, it's about Jesus Christ. Today is about my life displaying the gospel, seeking opportunities to share the gospel, exhibiting the gospel in my actions and my attitudes and my words and every interaction that I have. I'm going to follow Christ. Today is not about me doing what makes sense to me. Today is about me doing what God says is right. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And it is so often a lonely road to walk. It's hard. We've sometimes dumbed down the gospel to say, accept Jesus and everything will go well in your life. Paul would have none of that. He said, for me to live is death. Because I'm following Jesus Christ. And as people threw stones at him, he said, I'm following Jesus Christ. As he faced his own death numerous times, he said, I'm following Jesus Christ. A growing disciple lives dead to self, but alive in Christ. A growing disciple also grows in maturity. Colossians 2, 6, and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. I think another issue, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to beat on the American church today, it's just what I'm most familiar with, but another issue in the American church today is we have settled for immature faith time after time after time. We celebrate that somebody receives Jesus Christ as Lord, but then it's like we leave the baby on the doorstep and we're just so happy that they're born and we go on to the next person. That is not the pattern in Scripture. The goal in Scripture is not converts, it's mature disciples. Now, to be sure, you don't get a mature disciple unless somebody accepts the gospel in the first place. They need to be brought to faith, but you can't stop there. It's why as a church we emphasize Sunday school, small group, personal devotional life. It's why we go deep in our songs and our preaching and our teaching. We want to develop you in your maturity in Christ. And that's hard. And sometimes it means in lovingness with one another, we need to confront each other gently. Say, hey, let's keep going. Let's keep following Christ together. We need to grow. A growing disciple also grows other disciples. Matthew 28, 19. Did I not have that up there? Oh, there it is. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You should know this verse, 2819. It's our marching orders as a Christian. The Great Commission. But do you see what it says there? Make disciples. Friends, you have a mission as a follower of Jesus Christ. And that is to make other followers of Jesus Christ. And yes, that means you should be sharing the gospel with other people. Yes. That's not all it means. It means you should be coming alongside somebody and showing them how to follow Christ. You might be saying, man, I can't even figure it out myself. That's what ministry is. Follow me as I'm figuring out how to follow Christ. 
It's not follow me because I've got it all figured out. That's not how it works. I would never be in ministry if that's how it worked. It's follow me together and let's work on figuring out how to follow Christ together. Find somebody that you can reach out to, that you can encourage in their faith, that you can study Scripture with, that you can share with them what God is doing in your life and in your heart. Be intentional about developing relationships, whether it's in this church or outside this church, to share the gospel and help people to grow in their faith. This year, as you think about being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, focus on growing personally. As you're making goals this year, think, what am I going to do to help myself grow in maturity in Jesus Christ? What time will I shift? What will I change? What priorities in my schedule will I intentionally change so that I can grow in maturity in my relationship with Jesus Christ? And know, whoever it is in your life that you desperately feel needs help, know that the greatest thing you can do to help them is to share the gospel, demonstrate the gospel, point them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's going to keep you on track when the dark is overwhelming? When the snow is blowing and they're blinding you? And and if I could, don't wait for the storms to come. Because when you're in the middle of the storm and you can't see the, the front end of your car, that's not the time to learn to drive in snow. It's something, I I should be careful, we've got kids here, but it's something my parents taught me. If you have a teenage driver, you might want to cover their ears. My, My parents, as I was learning to drive, even as young as junior high and high school, they would take me to the church parking lot and do donuts. That's right. I don't know if the Schusters have seen it, but I still do it today. Amen? (laughs) Why? In fact, every year when the snow hits, I come here and I do donuts in the parking lot. It's fun. Okay, yes, it is fun. But it's because if you want to learn how to get out of a skid when you're sliding on black ice, is not the time to be figuring it out. It's the same way in your Christian life. Don't wait for your life to fall apart to go, oh, Maybe now I should seek God's glory. Don't wait for the snowstorm to come to say, what is the gospel? How do I cling on to it? Don't wait for somebody else's life to fall apart to say, how can I help them and disciple them in Jesus Christ? That's not the time to start. Now, if that's all you've got, start there. But the better time is when things are okay. So that in those moments... You can be so convinced about the importance of the glory of God that when the storm comes, there's not a moment of hesitation. I will focus on God's glory in this storm. That you are so rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, so convinced of the security you have in Jesus Christ that when the storm comes, you say, praise God, nothing can shake me. My anchor holds firm. Be so growing in maturity that when those times come, Scripture pops into your head. Say, I know this is true because of what God did in the Old Testament, the New Testament, what Paul said, I know it's true. I will continue to grow. God's not done with me yet. But if you do find yourself in those storms, I do want you to know this. 
God does reach people in the storms. He does work in the storm. I I don't want to say, and maybe I said, and I didn't mean to, I don't want to say it's too late in those moments. It's never too late. In fact, the Bible is full of God reaching people in storms. In fact, the Bible is even full of God bringing storms so that he could reach the people in the midst of them. God does work that way. So if you are there, look to God's glory. Run to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Follow Christ no matter what. And as a church, and on behalf of the elders, this is our commitment to you. It's been since before I got here. It will continue, I pray, long after I'm gone. We will exist to make fully devoted followers of Christ through the renewing and transforming power of the gospel for the glory of God. What about you?